0: creative assist podcast i'm your host dexter and i appreciate you for tuning in this is the podcast based around creative entrepreneurship we speak with entrepreneurs freelancers artists and creators of things and we aim to give you their insight knowledge experience and more in the field that they're in you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter at creative assist and that's at c-r-e-a-t-v a-s-s-i-s-t or you can find us at creativeassist.com Before I start the show, I would like to give a special thanks and shout out to our partners over at Art Inhibition Studios. Um, If you guys are listening to this for the first time and you're not too sure what this is, let me go ahead and explain that to you. Um, They are the home of the only black artist and designer directory. Um, They are dedicated to promoting black creatives in a positive light, keeping you connected with new gigs and opportunities, sharing resources to help you get to the next level creatively, whether that's free resources or paid resources, as well as supporting the community every single day. So if you guys want to go ahead and check out the culture that they're building and the community that they're building as well, I will leave a link in the show notes as always. Once again, that is our inhibitionstudios.com. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dexter. As always, I appreciate you guys for tuning in. I encourage you guys to go ahead and subscribe, share, and leave some feedback as well. That would be greatly appreciated, as always. And uh, today, I'm going to be speaking with Amy Silverman. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing pretty great myself. Thank you. And also, I appreciate you for scheduling this at 10 a.m. Usually, people do this at 7 or 8. And, um, it's not very fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I needed it a little, a little more mid morning as well. I have, I have kids to get out the door early and I know how that goes. Never, never as fast as you expect.
0: (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. For for me, I just, I don't know. I'm not a morning person. I just can't get used to it. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. But, um, I appreciate you for being on the show. And, um, today we're going to be speaking about, uh, real estate. Well, more so you are, I'm the learner here, but we're going to be talking about real estate and how um, it's important to just kind of um, own something, right? And like we talked about a little bit earlier, just having that extra source of income coming through. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hop into it. So we usually start the show by getting to know our guests, so tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, well yeah, so I have been investing in real estate for about 13 years now. But the first 10 of those years, it was really just a side thing for me. I was still working full time and, you know, there were long stretches between purchases and whatnot because, you know, coming up with money is a struggle sometimes. But you know how it goes. I, I, (laughs) you know, stuck with it. I found it to be, you know, worth my efforts. And yeah, after about 10 years, was able to, you know, sort of make the transition out of the working world and into full-time investing um, which isn't even really you know full-time at all I you know intentionally try to keep all my stuff pretty passive um, but, you know, there is, of course, some work that goes into it. But,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, besides real estate, I, you know, I invest in some other random stuff like crypto and a little bit of stocks and things. But, you know, really full time. I'm just a mom at home. I've got two little girls and, you know, I'm home with them all the time and just doing that stuff. And, I, you know, one of the reasons I love real estate is because it kind of affords me that, you know, freedom to just focus on my kids mainly. And so, yeah. That's, oh that's, that's great. A short story. <laughs> oh, that's
0: <laughs> I mean that that sounds great to me and um you said you were transitioning um out of the kind of like the work life into something more passive. So how was that process like?
1: Well, it was sort of the type of thing that I had been aiming for, you know, the whole mm-hmm. you know the whole time, but I didn't know it's hard to make the decision of when it's the right time to actually transition like it never really quite feels like you have enough money coming in because you always just, you know, whatever. It's just a stressful decision to make. Um, But I kind of ended up getting forced into it. Well, not forced into it, but the push was um, when I had my second daughter and I took my maternity leave, I was like, okay, I can't go back. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I'm sure plenty of people can relate. You know, daycare is just like crazy expensive. Plus like it just sucks to, you know, send your little babies to, somebody else. So I was just like, no, I'm not doing it. I can live off of what I'm making right now and I would rather just stay home. And so that was kind of, you know, the push that I needed to sort of force myself to just you know, make the leap and yeah, it you know has obviously ended up working out fine. Um, you know, things are always up and down as a as a entrepreneur, but I've been able to, you know, make it work and I can't I can't really imagine going back at this point. That seems like
0: a crazy idea <laughs> uh, i hear that and i asked that because yeah like like you said that's something that people um go through right like um even myself i i end up i ask myself sometimes like is it re- am i like ready just yet i don't know and we always feel like we could be making more money right like and that's that's the problem that i feel like a lot of people have like we're not too realistic about how much money we really need and sometimes it ends up being mm-hmm. even less than what we expected, so I always think that's kind of interesting.
1: Yep, yep. I one thing I've done this year. This is sort of off topic, but you just mentioned it, so
0: I'll just <laughs> say like
1: it. doing some strict budgeting. Like it's even and not even necessarily like because you're not going to spend money on certain things, but just so you know where your money is going, is a really eye opening thing. And like you said, like sometimes you actually end up finding out you're not spending as much as you thought, and you can maybe cut back in a couple other areas and really be on a much, you know, more comfortable situation. Yeah. Um, I read a book this year called, I will teach you to be rich, uh, which really I highly recommend if you're into the concept of maybe budgeting and just kind of getting your finances working for you that's like a really great book
0: oh, okay I'll definitely check that out because yeah i I, um, I do figure I mean I do catch myself budgeting a lot more this year it's been very helpful um, so yeah I'll definitely look into that it's a good recommendation there um, yeah. so let's let's get into it so real estate now so for those who are new to maybe investing or even just kind of understanding what real estate is all about. Why would somebody even want to get started in that? Like what are some of the benefits from it?
1: So the main benefit that I always, you know, look at is it just gives you, I mean, either a completely passive or at least like a semi-passive stream of income that you can do on the side of everything else you're, you've got going on in life. It's the mm-hmm. type of thing where, I mean yes you're going to need to put like some time and money into it in the acquisition process but you can generally you know find time to kind of fit that in within all your other stuff and then once you actually buy something and have it rented out and cash flowing you know at that point it should be you know a very low maintenance situation that's you know bringing you a you know consistent money that you can then you know, maybe feel a little bit more comfortable taking risks in other areas of your life because you kind of have this steady, you know, asset that's, and you know, another, you know, amazing part of it is it should be bringing in, you know, your money monthly, but also appreciating at the same time. So, you Mm -hmm. know, you know, at the end of the day, you've, you've really made money on it kind of in two different ways. And yeah, like I said, it can just kind of happen in the background while you still focus on, whatever it is, even if it's just, you know, your normal day job that you're trying to get out of, you still have to focus on it, whether you like it or not. So,
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> I see. So um, is, is it a misconception that um, it takes a lot of money to start? Or is that like a real thing?
1: Well, I mean, it definitely, it does take some money to start for sure. And I guess, you know, everyone's definition of a lot is a little bit different. True. So, you know, no, you're not going to be able to do it with like a few hundred books or something like that. But, you know, there's a decent chance that you could get something done under 10 grand I would say you know depending on the market you're in I mean I know you personally are out in California so that's probably not quite realistic (laughs) but um but in a you know in a lot of parts of the country it would be um as a down payment obviously not as a you know full purchase price but just as a down payment um and you know a, a big thing is just making sure your credit is really solid going into it um You know, that's definitely one factor that's that's kind of a non-negotiable. But, you know, credit can be fixed. Even if you have bad credit, like, just focus on fixing it. And, you know, in a year you can make a lot of progress on that kind of thing. Um, But, yeah, you know, you're going to have to save some money and be kind of aggressive about it. Um, You know, one of the, I guess, cheapest ways that you can get into a property is – like fHA loans where they only require about like three and a half percent down, um, but they do require you to live in it and so depending mm, okay. on how passionate you are about acquiring a property, like if this is something you really feel like is you know an important part of your whatever maybe five year plan or something, um, you know one of the best ways to kind of make that work is to find a way to house hack um, and house hacking can be. Lots of different things, anything just from, you know, buying a single-family home that has a few bedrooms and you just live in one and then you rent out the extra bedrooms to whoever, (laughs) Um, (laughs) or more, you know, if you want more privacy, maybe just, you know, buying, like, a duplex where you get to live in one unit but then you rent out the other, or even, like, Airbnb stuff. Like, maybe you buy a house that has, like, a basement and you can Airbnb the basement. Like, all of those different things are, you know, different forms of house hacking um but that's a way that you can get into a property very affordably and have it cash flow for you while you live in it and not just be you know a liability that you have to pay for every month it actually can still be an asset that's like making you money
0: right right and I didn't know that um did that require you to to live in the home I didn't know that
1: yes that's and it's only for a year so okay. you know if you're already kind of in that mode where you're renting and you're moving every year or two anyway, that's, if that's sort of your norm, right. then it could also make sense to just buy something that you like, live in it for that year, and then just plan on moving out and renting it from then on. You know, that can still be an easy process, really.
0: Oh, okay. That makes sense now. Often, so I sometimes see people who do that. Like, they'll buy a home, uh, they'll live in it for a year, and then they'll rent it out. And I was always wondering, why? why are they doing this for? That could be one of the reasons.
1: Yep. That is oftentimes one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. The lenders like to make you jump through some hoops, but honestly, if you just, you know, with real estate, you should always be looking at it as a, you know, either a somewhat long game or a very long game. It's never, you know, a short game. So, you know, a year to get yourself a rental that is going to cash flow for the rest of your life, you know, obviously that's like a pretty easy sacrifice to make.
0: Right. Earlier, you mentioned uh, California, and I know this is kind of randomly bouncing off to another topic, but uh, so it it is true that it is a little bit more difficult out in some, like in certain states. Um, How would one figure out, like, what's difficult in what state, if that makes any sense? Like, hmm, it's kind of hard for me to frame this, but if I'm living somewhere like in Nebraska, how do I know that my market is good or bad or whatever? Right, 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 right.
1: So, there's lots of different factors. I mean, basically, even bad, like, quote-unquote, bad markets still have plenty of potential to make money, honestly. Like, there just Mm -hmm. always is, because at the end of the day, like people need a place to live, you know. But, um, (laughs) basically, things like how much blight there is in a city. So, if there's, like, a ton of abandoned houses and, like, a lot of issues with, Houses being just boarded up and just sitting there, you know, that means it's probably not like the hottest market at that moment. But that doesn't, but like I said, there could still be really good opportunities to buy some stuff really cheap and potentially, you know, still turn plenty, you know, profit. So just because it may be not the best, like, I don't know, the word bad shouldn't necessarily mean you don't find a good opportunity. But, you know, the markets that are, what I guess, you know, would be more good are the ones where there's not much of that, you know, that you really don't see like abandoned houses hardly at all. Um, and also things like the population is increasing, like, the you know, like it's, a, a, you know, a city that people are moving to and businesses are moving to and, you know, the infrastructure is like a priority priority and being like well taken care of, things like that are always going to be a good sign for property values to continue to be strong and also for like rental markets to still be strong. Um, So, uh, you know, the majority of California would probably land in that, you know, more of a good category. But of course, you know, you can imagine there's like, there's still areas that are not so good. um, Right. And you know, that's just kind of normal everywhere. But another part of it is really just going to be based on you yourself as a buyer, like good and bad is sort of going to come down to like, can you afford this market or not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. so, you know, it might be a good market, but it also might be way out, out of your budget at this point. So like for me, I'm in Denver and I have, you know, I have rentals here, but I bought them all like kind of a long time ago. Now, not that long, but like maybe like five years ago or a little longer than that. And you know, for the last five years, I honestly just have been priced out of this market. Like it's just too expensive. I don't want to, get loans like that and whatever it like, it's just one of those things that happens. Um, And so, you know, luckily we live in the digital age though, and you can buy real estate anywhere. So, you know, the best thing to do is just really look at more of your finances, what you can afford. Think about how much the down payment is going to need to be. So if let's say it's going to be an out of state situation, so obviously like the FHA loan isn't going to work. Um, right. so if you're going to be just buying something as an investment property out of state, you should be ballparking that you're going to need to put 20% down. That's what I would always estimate. And then always, you know, you're going to need to have a little bit more than that, just because there's always going to be more expenses. Like you're going to have to pay for an inspection and an appraisal and you know what I mean? Like whatever, but just like ballpark of like 20% down. Um, and then you can kind of, you know, like reverse engineer from there to figure out what that means you can afford. and you know, and then you kind of have to narrow down some markets where that's a realistic ballpark.
0: Right. But,
1: you know, there really are markets out here where you can buy nice, I mean, well, not maybe nice, but at least like good enough that you could rent um, properties, you know, for 50 grand or less, like that exists. So everyone should feel like, you know, if they wanted to, they, there is real estate out there that you can afford, like definitely.
0: But yeah, no, that that makes a whole lot of sense. And as far as like, you know, FHA loans and other loans, are there any other realistic loans that someone would would get started at? Like, have you seen anyone as a beginner besides that type of loan uh, get into any other types, if that makes any sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't remember exactly what... I have a loan that I got pretty early in my you know, investing stages, it was basically like the second property I had bought, but it was the first one that I had bought that was just like a pure investment.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the
1: one I had before was like a primary residence at that time when I first bought it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that one, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but I know it's like an arm, which means like an adjustable rate mortgage. So it's like a 15 year mortgage, but after I believe it's like seven years, the interest rate can start to adjust well, it will start to adjust, which is obviously bad for me. Um, But at the time, that was like the only type of loan that I could use that they would, you know, qualify me for. So I decided to just go ahead and do it. And overall, I don't regret it because I haven't paid it off in full yet, but it's sort of low enough that I probably will before that seven-year, you know, adjustment starts. Um, So, you know, you pretty much just have to be willing to kind of take what they'll give you and (laughs) i mean there's i would always i mean you should always talk to multiple people about a loan but if you talk to like a broker usually they can find you kind of your best options without you having to put in like a ton of you know legwork yourself
0: okay that's good to know i didn't know that yeah Okay. That's cool. Yep. Would you, um, I see, cause I see you, uh, you specialize in like, you know, finding ways to invest a little bit smarter. Um, so what does a, a, a bad investment look like? Or could you give an example of that?
1: Definitely. So I guess in a, just in a normal, like it doesn't matter what's going on in the market. Like a bad investment could look like some, a situation where you don't do your due diligence on the property Mm. In terms of maybe you don't get a good inspection done or other type things that you should obviously be doing. Like if you want to maybe cut some corners and like skip a few steps, just trying to, I don't know, if you're just rushing or saving money or whatever. That's the type of thing that will end, that could, you know, put you in a situation where now you have a house that needs you know, drastically more work than you can really afford
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: or, you know, maybe it needs a whole new roof or maybe like there's, you know, plumbing issues, like whatever the case may be. So, you know, doing your due diligence is really important. Um, you never want to skip inspections. Um, but the good thing is, is, you know, you can, uh, you can make offers on real estate like very aggressively because you can always get out of that offer in the inspection. So you can basically use the inspection to get out of any contract, whether it's kind of like, you know, a good reason, or maybe you just have like changed your mind for whatever reason, Um, which is just something good to know, especially if you do consider, you know, buying out of state and you are worried about, you know, making offers on stuff that you haven't seen um, just make the offer and then have the inspection done really thoroughly. Like it should include pictures and like, long written out descriptions of everything like they usually go into quite a bit of depth like that should definitely be your expectation and then from there you should feel pretty comfortable like knowing if there are issues what they are or if everything's good I mean it's rare that everything's good but a lot of times it's just little stuff that is fine Um, but another example that I feel like I should give right now is things like if you buy you know kind of an overpriced property right now this is the type of time where you could really quickly end up upside down on a property so I personally think you know we're kind of already going into a market crash but I'll you know caveat that by saying some cities aren't going to be hit as hard as others some might not even be hit at all but at the end of the day, like I do think some cities are already getting hit. And so it's the type of time where if you were to buy something that was overpriced in a year, it might be worth half that,
0: literally. Oh man, yeah.
1: And you yeah. know, no one <laughs> no one wants to make that mistake. Yeah. So that's another, you know, example of a bad deal that you could end up end up in. And so, you know, you basically, this is the type of time where you wanna just be really kind of aggressive about only considering really good deals and be willing to kind of wait if those deals aren't popping up because they will like they're coming you know what i mean so there's just no reason to buy anything overpriced or even questionably (laughs) overpriced right now um (laughs) you know it's just not that that time you know a couple years ago that probably would not have wouldn't matter because the market has been so hot, but it is definitely shifting. You definitely want to make sure, you know, you're really looking at numbers. Um, and cause you know, the thing is though, you know, if you were to end up buying something overpriced right now and the market tanks, you just have to hold on to it for a long time. It will come back up, you know, like you will still make money by renting it out. Like there's still mm-hmm. money to be made in real estate. So that's kind of the good news. Like, Even the worst case scenario, you should be able to, you know, still make some money off of it. But of course, like you want to be getting yourself a really good deal. That's going to be, you know, super profitable and not like you have to hold on to it for 10 years before you can turn a profit.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And it seems like what this is all boiling down to is at the end of the day, people need houses. So it's not necessarily never a time to be making money in real estate, but there is points where you could possibly be spending more money and more effort that you really need to, right? Like um, the times, like you just said, where things aren't too good right now, like there's still little nuances to it that still make it worth it if you have, I guess, the money for it. Um, Nonetheless, I I would assume that right now is just the time to learn, the time to build up credit and things like that, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And start watching either your local market if if you feel like maybe you're interested in investing in your local market or if you feel like you probably don't like your market, then maybe, you know, this is a good time to just start exploring other areas and trying to maybe narrow down, I don't know, your top three, maybe your top five. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. It's up to you. You don't need to make it anything, you know, stressful, but it's a good idea to just sort of keep an eye on certain cities so that you start having a really good idea of what normal prices look like. And then you'll, because once you understand that, then you'll start noticing when something's you know, a, a better deal than usual, because right. you know what normal looks like. Um, you know, if you never really look at it, you're going to be kind of just like guessing with numbers and like, I don't know, is this a good deal? It looks kind of good. Like, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, you don't, that's not, you know, you want to set yourself up to really kind of, you know, just know what you're looking at. So it's a good time to just start thinking about what makes sense, you know, for, you know, the next few years. And the good thing about a market crash is, It is not a fast thing. Like the real estate market moves very slow. So plenty of cities will sit down at the bottom of the crash for a few years, like maybe even three years, four years. Like it can take Mm -hmm. a really long time to start recovering. So that's great for, you know, if you're preparing for that and can take advantage of the buying opportunity it gives you because it's a pretty big window of time.
0: Right. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Three years. Huh. It's a while. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah.
0: But that, I mean, plenty you know,
1: of opportunity for, yeah, pl- yeah, pl- for pl- anyone pl- interested.
0: Right. It, but this wouldn't be a good time to maybe do something like wholesaling, right? It, might, it must be terrible right now.
1: It's probably a tough time to start wholesaling. If you're already an established wholesaler, hopefully you have some solid buyers mm-hmm. who you can kind of count on and things are going to get by but yeah if you wanted to start wholesaling this is probably a pretty tricky time just because I think buyers are sort of cooling down a little bit knowing like the market is shifting they're going to only want to take like the absolute best deals which are probably going to leave you the wholesaler with like really narrow profit margins which of course you know some profits better than none, but you know, ultimately like if you're going to be working really hard to get a deal, you want to make decent money off of it. You don't want to be getting just like the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, if there is an opportunity where you could connect with some buyers that, you know, you really have a relationship with and you can basically just put your efforts towards finding them exactly what they want, that's pretty much like the recipe for success in wholesaling through the crash. But that's, you know, that's easier said than done. Not everyone knows, you know, cash buyers who want to partner with you like that really closely um, if you're just starting. You know, that, that can be a pretty difficult relationship to establish. Right. Um, but you know, I would still if you're if you like the idea of wholesaling, if it's something you're either starting or thinking about starting, you know, don't feel like it's impossible. It's not impossible, but it's just like the market is moving in a different direction. Like some of these flippers out there who are currently buying, like they might end up upside down on a flip where they took a loss on it and they're going to take a break and not do any more flips for a while. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like most people don't really want to keep going after that has happened. So, um, you know, there's just going to be, but there, you know, but on the flip side, I think there's also, a huge group of buyers sort of sitting on the sidelines right now, just sort of waiting to jump in with a lot of cash. So, you know, that's your real opportunity is to try to find those buyers, but they might not be quite ready yet. All of those things. And when they do jump in, a lot of them will be ready to find their own deals um, because there's going to be a huge amount of deals. You know, there's Mm -hmm. way more supply than demand and so people are going to be very picky about what they buy and they're going to want to really buy for like as absolute cheap as possible like there's just not going to be a lot of you know wholesale margin in there
0: okay that makes sense then that makes sense so um i know this is kind of randomly bouncing off to another place but as you're as you're talking i was thinking about this so you know how so oftentimes you know even myself i hear like it's kind of Difficult for some, maybe, to get into even the network of people who are in real estate um, and just making those connections, right? Uh, So, what are some of the ways you got into that? Was it strictly through social media, or did you really go to these um, real estate meetups and things like that? Like, how was that for you if you did that?
1: Yeah, so for a long time, I really didn't do too much of that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I just whatever. I don't know. Just didn't. Um, but I mean, yeah, social media, I would say has connected. We has connected me with the most people like has expanded my network the most, but I would say, you know, so I guess I would do a little bit of both if you're, if you're, if you're interested, like I would, you know, do your best to tap into some maybe local Facebook groups you know, in your area or whichever area you want to target. Um, You know, there's a great network of us on Twitter that you can find. But I would also, you know, do what you can to look up the local meetups. And there's usually like local RIAs um, that, you know, are meeting frequently and are always, you know, excited for people to attend. And, you know, just dropping into those type of things when you have free time can really help you build your network, network quickly. And sometimes that actually can be a really good place to find other buyers. If you are looking to wholesale um, and you know, meeting people in person generally is going to give you a little bit stronger of like a connection with them than just right. like, the social media stuff. So, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of value in the social media networking, but the in-person bonds will probably get you further faster.
0: Right, it makes sense. It makes sense, and I'm I'm asking that because um, with the things I do in the creative industry, really, what is useful to me is yeah, it's it's going out and you know meeting people and also the social media. But whenever I do meet up with people, we're focusing on a task, and the task is done by that day. So I feel like it's it's a little bit different going into something like like real estate when you're building a long term relationship with people and things like that, you know? Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It it's
1: definitely is. It's one of those things where you don't rest, like, there's plenty of people that you are going to meet that maybe you don't have any, I don't know, specific business to handle with them immediately. Exactly. But like, you kind of tell that this is, like, a good relationship for me to have. And so, yeah, you kind of have to play the long game with people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. You know, it's I, a
1: little different. But, <laughs> you know, there's also, like, you know, a lot of these investors and real estate agents and everything else like they you know they have plenty of other needs that maybe you know you can find multiple ways to make those events like useful to you like i know there's lots of different creatives that listen to this and probably a million different things that i'm not even thinking of but you know just simple things like mm-hmm. they, a lot of these investors need photography Like, that's a really common need. But also even just things like to do showings and, like, just, like, little things like that. Like, so, you know, depending on what your goals are, you know, you might be able to connect with people in multiple different, you know, money-making lanes
0: that way. And that's that's very true with the the photography. That's kind of – that's partly how I got started in real estate photography. Aside from uh, the social media aspect, like on Facebook, I would go to – Uh, various Facebook groups and try to get in those and if I couldn't I would just link up with other people uh, who were in uh, investing and then um, I would just kind of meet up with them and work with them that way so that is a that is a really good uh, resource there and then when and then when I got started in that um, I just met various people along the way who like you know of course we're all kind of like with the same goal so I don't know it just it just helps it just helps to meet people even if like you said even if you don't really have a, a, something to do with them that day it's just I don't know its it's just a really interesting like way to go about relationships and, and things like that but yeah social media has a uh, definitely it's definitely crazy like the the connections that you can make and I just mentioned this on my last episode but use it as a tool right like um, you know I'm, I'm gonna keep saying this over and over again but really like because uh, we don't know how long this social media stuff is really gonna last so get involved in these communities and stuff because yeah I mean you why not, why not take advantage of them?
1: Exactly. And like, take it off social media. If you really like find good people, like yeah. there are people that I have really like formed real life bonds with, like that I've meet in person, like multiple times, you know, like if, if you, if you have a good experience and find good connections, you know, really like let those become real life connections. Cause like you said, like we never know how long this stuff right. is going to last, you know, Twitter and all these other things could disappear tomorrow. And that could be the end of your network if you let it. So, you know, just honestly always think about that part in the long game with it all. Cause yeah, some of these relationships can really take you far.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me see here. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, if I'm not talking, I'm really just I'm really just soaking up the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have no, no – because no, honestly, I, I'm, I'm new to this as well. So, um, you know, I bought a book on it. I don't have it in front of me, but it's like Millionaire Real Estate Investor, and I've been reading it, mm-hmm. uh, just slowly getting into it and slowly stacking up my money to figure out what I'm going to do because I am in California. So let me just say this for my Californians. So mm-hmm. how, how the hell – what the hell do we do? Because that's <laughs> – because <laughs> that's one thing right now that's like, all right, well, I'm going to start. And then I mentioned it to somebody. And this, of course, could be an insecurity of theirs, but they tell me, hey, it's impossible. What, you're not going to get in the way with this shit, man. What are you doing? So is, is this true? What, what the hell?
1: No. I mean, of course it's not true because look <laughs> how many people are doing it. I mean, every house you see is owned by someone, you know, I mean, whether it's the person who's living in it or not. So, I mean, I guess it just sort of, it's, it's also like case by case. But if you, you know, I guess it's like if you really want to invest in California, I think you can, you know, but you have to be sort of in that mindset of, You know, you're probably going to have to kind of aggressively save for a while to come up with enough, you know, for a down payment, Right. but things, you know, you can really, I mean, you know, the rental market is really solid, really strong. Like, you know, you would probably never have issues with vacancies or, you know, you can always have like annoying tenants, but you probably wouldn't have like any like horrific tenants because... In strong rental markets like those, people understand, like, if I get evicted, like, I'm never going to, you know, have a place to live here ever again. (laughs) I
0: know, it's true.
1: And and so they don't, like, they don't go too far. I mean, like I said, there, there can still be some, like, annoying stuff that comes up, of course. But overall, like, you shouldn't have anything, you know, that you can't handle. So it's just, it just sort of depends on, like, how much that's important to you. And, you know, another thing you can do is also just, you know, explore maybe more of, like, eastern california <laughs> like you know there's there's parts of the state that or at least like a little bit more within like reason budget wise for people um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean if you're if you're trying to you know stay in those coastal cities i mean it's going to take a lot of money it just
0: is yeah it uh, just is yeah
1: and yeah. you know maybe a solution is to you know invest with some people like partner up with some people um I think that can be a good idea, but I also think it can be hard to find people you really trust enough to do that yeah. or really just like get along with well enough to do that. I, know, I mean, just personally, I don't invest with people at all. <laughs> 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 that sounds like maybe a little bit harsh, but it's just the truth. I just don't. I'm the type of person who just needs to do shit my own way. And that's right. worked well for me so far. I'm not about <laughs> to change it. Um, but i do, but you know in a in a situation like that it could make sense you know maybe even if you have like brothers and sisters or other family members that you really trust um, you know that could be a good opportunity but you know that's the type of thing that will definitely like test your relationship with people like i wouldn't recommend doing it with like <laughs> boyfriends and girlfriends uh, and stuff yeah. like that maybe maybe once you're married but you know it's 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 a big risk to invest with other people but it can be the way to come up with capital that you would never be able to come up with on your own right so you true. never know but another thing that I'll just mention because I know you know some of your audience are you know probably own their own businesses and are making money that way um, you know one smart thing to do would be to really get your business credit well established and once you do have your business credit well established which can be done in I don't know, six months probably. I mean, it kind of, you know, I guess kind of depends on what your like income is looking like and all of that stuff. But assuming you have like fairly consistent income, it could probably, you know, be done that fast. Um, But then you can usually qualify for business loans, you know, pretty easily from there that you can kind of do whatever you want with. So depending on your risk tolerance and all the other things you kind of have going on in your life, you know, maybe it could make sense to, to use a business loan to get into some real estate investing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a smart move, actually. I'll look into that as well. I didn't think about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I didn't think about that. But yeah, Sometimes
1: those loans are a lot easier mm-hmm. to get than the personal loans.
0: Right. Yeah. I noticed personal loans are kind of tough, especially if credit isn't like, the best, but it's good. You know, sometimes even like good credit doesn't get you in some of these personal uh, loans.
1: Exactly. And I think the lending is honestly just going to get tighter as the market shifts. So that might, you know, get harder. Um, And if you have untraditional income, like if you don't have a normal W-2, you're like definitely not getting a personal loan. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) (laughs) But the business loan could be perfect. So I definitely suggest you know, considering that option.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's definitely good to look into then. Uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm good on, I'm honestly good on investing with people too. I I tried it though. I did. I I will say that I, I tried hitting up the group chat. Like, Hey, I I came up with this, like this scheme to like, you know, let's come, let's all come together with some money and let's put in some real estate and let's, you know, do this and that like, Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's never, (laughs) it never happens.
1: It never happens. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's probably most people's experience. Um, Or you finally do it. And then it like destroys your relationship with those people, which also is not what anyone wants. So, nope.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez, man. Um so what are some resources that helped you learn the in and outs of uh real estate investing or just in general?
1: So I <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of my like, I don't know, I grew up in it. My dad was in real estate. He was just constantly like dragging me to rental properties and doing all these other things. So I kind of like so you know, that kind of gave me this weird background in it that I didn't even like sign up for, but was good. You know, it made me really like understand the realities of it um, just from the very beginning. But beyond like, you know, that type of an experience, I'm honestly like a big podcast fan. Mm -hmm. I really like listening to just all kinds of different podcasts. Um, If you're, you know, I would say like the bigger pockets real estate podcast is probably like, the you know the one place I would definitely recommend but there's a lot of other good ones there's one called the uh millennial real estate investor that I really like um and you know and a, a whole bunch of others the more the better type of a thing the only thing that can get annoying is like you hear so many good ideas that you want to like try them all <laughs> <laughs> and like that's that's definitely like my issue I'm like oh my god I want to do that one and that one and that one and you can't and that's that's one thing with real estate is it's such a it's once you really start getting into it, like you realize how broad it is and how many millions of different lanes there are within it. And sometimes that can make it hard to pick a lane. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, with, you know, with all the content that's out there, don't let it take you to the point where now you're like too scattered and distracted to narrow in. Um, but I really, you know, bigger pockets is like a really, really good free resource. Um, But another thing that really helped me a lot was getting a really good local real estate agent, which can be hard to find agents. I don't know. Like they're just hit and miss. Some are great, but some are not. And so be, that's one thing to really be kind of like picky about, like really try to find an agent that works hard for you and that you like you know, personality wise, Mm -hmm. because that is going to change everything. And I mean, I said local, but obviously like whatever market you're going to buy in is what I mean. If it's not local, that's fine. Um, And if it's not local, you know, you should be able to find an agent who is like happy to go look at tons of properties for you and send you pictures and send you videos and do all that kind of work for you. Like if they're kind of like, Oh, we can't do that. then that's not the right agent for you. Like they can do that and they will, You just got to find the right one. Um, But yeah, me finding a good agent here in Denver made all of the difference. Like she found me pretty much everything that I own currently here in Denver. I, I bought almost all of it sight unseen because she went and did a show. Like she went and looked at it and told me it was good. And I was like, done make an offer. Like you just have to find somebody who can really keep a, very close eye on the market for you, but of course, like you should also be keeping an eye on it yourself. You shouldn't just totally like trust that they're gonna do that. Like you need to be active um, in it. But that is definitely you know an underrated thing. Like if you get a bad agent, it can really ruin the experience. But if you get a really good agent, it's gonna make everything go well.
0: Right. That makes sense, and that kind of brings me. It kind of reminds me of a uh a YouTube video I watched before on what was it? I think it was it was something like it was random. Oh, it was something like buying a house with zero down. And I didn't watch it just for that, but I was just mm-hmm. interested to see how to do it and it was um the process looked like FHA loan and then from there they um they said let the agent work for you and I had no idea that there was a uh, even a bad agent out here. I thought they were all, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, It's right. kind of an interesting thing to just find out like, oh damn, well, now you have to really do some research on on the people who you want to trust. And uh, I don't know. That's just kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, it's, it's annoying because you don't want to put a ton of time into like meeting with all these agents, but it's just one of those things where like you got to have one who's actually going to do the work because the thing is, you know, they don't get paid until the actual property closes. Like they get paid on commission. So all that work they do ahead of time they're, you know, it's possible they are, they're going to end up doing that for free if you guys <laughs> yeah. don't close. Yeah. So that's why a lot of them aren't that, you know, they just don't want to put in that much effort. But there are good ones out there that will really do it. And, you know, they will be happy to just, you know, answer a million of your questions. And they should know all the local details really well, like, things like, you know, just paying attention to like, what's the good school zones? And like, where are they building the new bus routes and like i don't know you know what i mean just like all those weird little local things that are kind of important like you know they should be able to kind of keep you informed on without you necessarily needing to you know read every single article that comes out and all that stuff
0: right right that makes sense that makes sense and that's good to know too those um those podcasts because i I, i'm a huge fan of podcasts so either that or like either that or youtube is where i kind of get a lot of my info so yeah. I and I mean, that.
1: real estate YouTube is just, it's a, you know, it's a lot of clickbait. I mean, as is all of YouTube, of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you, you can of course find good content on YouTube, like really good content, but you just kind of have to get past all the people trying to just sell you their yeah and that's can be frustrating you know
0: yeah. yeah no and with and with that exact video i just said i watched it it of course led to a sales funnel and i was like all right well let me turn this off now because i learned absolutely nothing yeah, I, I learned like two exactly. steps and then you just kind of funneled me into a whole little like process and i'm cool so yeah
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. i agree yeah. i mean take take the good stuff but there's a lot of crap you have to sift through yeah. so
0: you a know finding
1: good podcasts i feel like gets you through some of the bullshit faster
0: right a lot of it is just done on youtube like, like youtube uh, is like yeah. the stunt. you know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's comedy exactly.
1: not a big fan
0: <laughs> but um uh what was i gonna say oh yeah so i know uh I know real estate is, you know, intimidating to a lot of people. So, what would you say to the people who are like on enough off defense about it constantly? You know, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where would you? I don't know. Cause I would I know say. That, mm-hmm.
1: No, no. Go ahead. Finish. No,
0: because I, I know that a lot of there's just a lot of misconceptions, and I feel like. It took me a while to really learn the, like I guess the truth or just like the right knowledge about it to even feel comfortable enough to save up somewhere and to know mm-hmm. like my next steps, you know. And I feel like there's, yes. just, there's just a lot of info to, to to cut through. So I don't know.
1: And there is. I mean, that is definitely I think a major issue that people just get a little too overwhelmed by all the different things and how to do them, and it's just a lot. So, I mean, basic things that I would think about is, like, I mean, for one, like, yes, you can do it, and you at least should really, like, consider it. Maybe maybe it's a good fit for you and maybe not, but, like, you should really at least consider it because it's the type of thing that, you know, you put in a little bit of work in the beginning and then, you know, you're done and you can count on it forever. So it's at least just, you know, I mean, what else can you, you know, really, like, say that about? Like, there's not that many other things that are so, like, reliable like that. But um, one big thing I would say is don't worry about buying the house you're going to live in. It's fine to just rent forever or at least, you know, for the next five years because it's, you know, we're millennials. It's hard for us to decide where we want to live. We don't want to have to like do all the work ourselves. Like we want to just call somebody <laughs> just to yeah, have them fix yeah. it. Like that is fine. Don't feel like, there's anything wrong with that. Like be a renter, keep your life flexible and easy, but think about having your first. So basically think about having your first real estate purchase be as an investment property, not as a primary residence. Um, like I said, unless maybe it does make sense to just like house hack or live in it for the first year to then, you know, transition it into an investment property. But that's, you know, that's the way you're going to actually make money. Um, And I would, you know, also just tell people that, you know, property managing is really not that bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it has
1: a really, really bad reputation. And of course, like, I mean, if there there are headaches, like there are moments where it's annoying. There are, but I've been doing it for a really long time now. Um, And honestly, like I can go a whole year without having any issues with a tenant. Like, nothing like they pay their rent on time they don't have any maintenance requests like it's just nothing and that's the type of stuff I feel like no one really ever wants to say but you know then of course like I'll have an annoying tenant who bothers me like once a month every month for the whole year and that's annoying too (laughs) but at the end of the day it's still not that bad like you know what I mean like you can you can handle it and and you know and if that if you really do have something that's more than you can handle then you hire a property manager and you pay them 10% and they do it for you. And so like, that's always an option on the table, but I would definitely suggest you try self managing before you go straight to a property manager, because also, you know, we have technology now, like this is not the day and age where you have to go like pick up a rent check on the first like
0: right there
1: are automated systems that do all of it for you now like where they where your applicants can like submit their application and get the background check done and all of it and then you like onboard them and now they just pay their rent through your you know your portal and they can set up automatic payments and they can use a credit card if they want to and there's a place where then they can submit their maintenance requests and all of it all of it can be automated these days so that you don't really even have to have very much direct contact, and it doesn't really have to, you know, even interrupt your day. It can be the type of thing where you plan on just checking your portal, you know, once a day or once a week, or you know, kind of depends on how many properties you have. Um, but you know, like it's really, really doable. And when there is an issue, now all you're doing is subcontracting. So someone calls and says, like, oh, our toilet's leaking. So you call a plumber and you send the plumber over there and they fix it and you pay the bill. Like, right. it, you don't even necessarily need to like interrupt your day more than like. A phone call or two type of a thing so it's you know it's the type of thing where you know you hear all the horror stories but the reality <laughs> is is a lot of times like you're not getting bothered at all within a month you haven't you, nothing comes up at all and you just you know collect your check and keep moving on with your life
0: right right and i think and that's really good advice honestly also What I'm doing now, and um, it's kind of helping me understand a lot about, uh, you know, being a manager, property manager, is that I'm watching, because I rent right now, so I'm watching my landlord and, like, the things that we have troubles with, like, if I have, like you said, plumbing, if I have trouble with that, like, who, like, who are they sending over here, like, and I kind of, like, play numbers in my head, like, okay, how much would this cost and this and that, and I I run some numbers, you know, I just kind of play around and, and really try to learn, like.
1: Um, mm-hmm. So that's I mean, exactly what everyone yeah. should be thinking about in their daily mm-hmm. life. It's like, okay, so like how much work would this really be if I was the one who had to like, you know, handle it.
0: And right.
1: I don't know. I mean, it, like I said, like there can be times, like it sort of also depends on like what type of property you're buying. Like most of the properties that I've bought would be considered like turnkey rentals, just like, you know, move in ready, not like brand new construction or anything, but just like updated and Whatever, um, and so you know when you buy something like that, it generally isn't going to need like a ton of maintenance because it's been upkept. And then basically, you know, you whenever there's a turnover, you do want to try to take care of like any and all issues during turnovers, so that then when you get someone else in, it shouldn't really have any. And as long as you're that type of a property manager, you want to do preventative maintenance and keep up with stuff. It's pretty easy, but you know, in some areas, like if you are in the Midwest and maybe you are buying in one of the cheaper markets like Cleveland or Detroit or Memphis, like those are all great price points because most of us can all like afford something out there, but the houses tend to be close to a hundred years old or, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood at least. And there, I mean, and it's fine. That's just kind of like the norm out there. But it can end up having a lot more maintenance issues because that's just how it happens with older houses. So of course, you just you know you just kind of need to factor that in when you're buying. You still want to probably try to buy something that has had work done to it. That's not you know something that's just been neglected forever. Um, <laughs> or right. or you know like if you're up for a project, then maybe you buy something that does need work, but you you know but you do the work yourself. Like whatever option you like. But you know as long as you're kind of you know, making sure you're giving your, your tenants a decent property, like in return, you should have, you know, very little work.
0: That's good. That's really good. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind as well. Cause yeah, there's, there's a lot of old homes out here too. And with the previous home I lived mm-hmm. in, uh, it was just, it was just, ha- it was a hassle. There was always something breaking or there was like black mold. It was just, it's just a mess. Yeah, so this right. Is you wanna, yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. Those are and those are things like those are all going to be yeah, real happens. things. And mm. yeah, I mean, obviously, you want to take care of your tenants and not just leave them in a in a in a nightmare situation because <laughs> odds are you will get sued and all of those things. So yeah, I mean, you know, you, you just that. gotta you just gotta deal with it. So definitely, things to be you know thinking about when you buy. Like that's why you know back to the you want to get a good inspection done when you buy something. So that you don't end up with something that does have like black mold already that now you have gotta take care of, like try to catch those things.
0: Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And um so really quickly, um I, I do hear a lot about um mobile homes, you know, multifamily and you know, even things like wholesale. So do different do different states have different opportunities for these?
1: I would say so, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, and even just like different cities within different states, honestly. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, as you can kind of imagine, like, I don't know. I mean, here in Denver, things like multifamilies are very few and far between. Like, you don't drive around and see a lot of duplexes or anything like that. But there's other cities where, you know, that's like super common and they're all over the place um like I said a lot of those midwest cities are kind of where you can always find like you know consistent multi-families um and so yeah part of you know choosing a market is kind of evaluating what strategy you're going with because yeah I mean if you wanted to go with mobile homes that's going to be something you have to really think about a lot of mobile home parks are kind of more on like the outsides of cities. Like they're not usually not really like in the middle of cities anymore. And another thing with mobile homes is like, they are not building those parks anymore, like at all. Like that has completely like stopped. So like the ones that oh, yeah. exist are like the the ones that are going to exist. Like, I mean, of course you never know, like someday they might start building more, but for the, you know, for the foreseeable, for the foreseeable future, that's what we're working with. Um, and so you know, you definitely need to just kind of evaluate that type of stuff. And things like, you know, with mobile homes, um, lot rent or the lot fee that they charge is like a big, big factor. So, you know, if you have to make sure, you know, the profit margin accounts for that lot fee. Because I know, you know, here in Denver, a lot fee for a mobile home might be $800 a month or something crazy like that. Whereas, you know, if you go out into, like, the middle of Oklahoma or something, it's probably, I don't know, 300 bucks or maybe even less than that. You know, so you just – those are all, like, really things that vary greatly and you need to really be looking at closely when you're, you know, evaluating a market. Um, And same with wholesaling. Like, technically, of course, you can wholesale anywhere, and people pretty much do wholesale every single city, even, you know, L.A. and New York and, like, the the high-end markets – but, you know, it can be, you know, pretty hard to get to break into, uh, you know, a new market or I mean, a, sorry, a higher end market like that, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, going to be really competitive, you should assume. Um, whereas, you know, there might be the cities that have a lot of already have a lot of blight with a lot of abandoned homes and stuff like that might be pretty easy. No, I mean, I should never I don't think wholesaling is easy. <laughs> let me just let yeah. me just say that I think wholesaling is actually quite hard. And I think it takes a ton of time, like it's a major time commitment if you want to really like get into wholesaling. So, you know, that's great if that's your you know passion. But it's far from easy. That is never a word I like to throw around. <laughs>
0: wholesaling. Yeah.
1: Um, but of course, it can be done, and you can make great money. I mean, it's it's very much a legit way to to get some capital moving. Um, but one you know, off, this is off topic. But another thing no, I just always it. like to say is. You know, with wholesaling, you should really have the goal of still trying to like keep the best deals for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of wholesalers just get so caught up in the money they're making from their assignment fees that they just keep selling everything off, which you know it's fine because they're making money in the sale, but at the end of the day, like the second you stop wholesaling, the money stops coming in so, right. okay, like if you it makes like you're you know you're kind of you're setting yourself up to have to keep working forever if you take the time to you know save some of the money you're making on your fees and then you know somewhere down the line like grabbing a few properties here and there to keep now all of a sudden you will have this like passive income going on in the background so if you stop wholesaling you've still got some cash flowing it you know
0: Oh, okay that makes a lot of sense now see that's one thing i kind of didn't understand about, um, about wholesales because you, you have to do a lot of the leg work as far as I know. So mm-hmm. I was wondering like, well, is any of this stuff even all that passive? Because oftentimes I'll see like wholesalers with a team of people and then they just, they just at it every day, you know? So I was like, well, right, exactly. Cause they like, have
1: to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So I was like, well, at some point, like where, like, do you get to a point where it's like, okay, do I have to invest somewhere else or, you know, so that kind of answered that question.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, it's just like a really, uh, you know, I mean, as long as if you're just wholesaling and you're just flipping contracts, like you're not investing in real estate because at no point are you ever owning any real estate, you know, right. you have to take that leap to actually own some stuff yourself. Um, Got it. it's, an, it's an important detail in the, in the investment strategy, but you know, there's, there's lots of – and then, you know, if, you, if, if all of these things we're talking about with, like, property management and wholesaling is, like, too active of investing for your style, you know, there's other, like, more, like, crowdfunding options that you can look into online. Like, ah, I'm not going to remember all the website's names right now, but you can just <laughs> – you know, where you can just invest, you know, even $100 or whatever. You know, you can just make, like, small investments um, to just maybe, you know, dip your feet into it. Another like a strategy that I always like is tax lien investing where you can like just buy liens where then you're going to get your money back with like a certain percent of interest like guaranteed. Um, you know, there's, there's some other like, you know, littler things that you could do that is less intense than like buying a full house, you know, right off the bat. Um,
0: you're yeah, yeah, buying like, a I whole mean, house. There's yeah. just
1: so many strategies. It just never ends. But, yeah, so you know, nice. that, the the you know the great thing is, is there's something that can work for everybody if if they wanted to.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's the good thing, thankfully, because, man, <laughs> yeah. hopping right into something like, because when I first got really interested in any of this, it was wholesaling. So and then when I learned about it, I was like, OK, well, this probably isn't the best way to start somewhere like this isn't at least not for me. So I was like, all right. Well, when I started learning the other options, like, okay, this is this is good, and it, it's really cool that everybody can kind of get started in some way, um, somehow. So
1: exactly, exactly. It's yeah, very inclusive.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, but um, yeah, I think I think we covered it all. I think so.
1: <laughs> I think we did. This was great, though. I'm so glad we got to, you know, dive into it.
0: That was great. I really, uh, really appreciate you for um, coming on here and sharing your, sharing your knowledge and all your experience has been very uh, insightful. I've learned a lot of things today.
1: Great. So glad to be here.
0: Yeah, but um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for being here once again. Uh, and uh, how can we support you or where can the people like find, um, you know, what Amy is up to?
1: Uh, yes. So... I have a website where I do do some real estate consulting if anyone would be interested in talking to me in more depth. And I also just have other you know, resources and things going on there. So that is uh, silverspringsconsulting.com. Mm-hmm. And then you can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Silver Invests. That is on Twitter. So yeah, come, okay. come check me out. Feel free to shoot me a message. I love to you know, connect with people and join the community, you know? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's one thing that's really cool about you is that, like you just don't let things get to you. You seem you're accessible and, you know, you put out info here, valuable info, and that's appreciated.
1: Well, thank you. I try to be, and I'm glad glad it, you know, comes across that way because yeah. it is. I'm, 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 try, I'm very genuine. This is really what I do, and I love it, and I love to help people, you know, just see what the reality is like. Like, it's not all perfect, but it is you know, it's doable.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, Yeah.
1: thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. No problem. And uh, once again, thank you for being here. Talk to you soon. Take care. Hope you guys found this uh, episode valuable. Hope you learned something in there. And of course, you can find us at Creative Assist, and that's at CREATV, IST across all platforms. And yeah, guys, once again, I appreciate all of you for listening. I encourage you to go ahead and subscribe and share, leave some feedback as well, and that'll do it for this episode of the Creative Assist Podcast. Until next time, take care.